brought to you by Think Tank. Hello, you are listening to Stories of the Sisterhood. My name is Holly. And I'm Alicia. And in this episode, we are talking about a little-known woman called Margaret Travers-Simmons, who in 1908 was technically the first woman ever to make a speech on the floor of the House of Commons, years before it was even legal that women could vote or be MPs and sit in the House themselves. Uh, she wasn't a woman that I'd ever really heard of before. No, me neither. Uh, so, yeah, it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, we were joined by Narina Shopland, who's quite a prominent uh, Welsh... LGBT and women's historian. She writes a lot on these kind of subjects, unknown women, women whose stories have been told. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was perfect for this podcast. Uh, yeah, it was great. I think you'll really enjoy the episode. Yeah, we had a great discussion. Enjoy. Marina, could you just say how you first came across Margaret Travers-Simmons? Well, last year, 2018, was the 100th anniversary of the suffragette movement where women received, or part, part, some women received the vote, only about 40% of them. So I was looking around for some Welsh subjects to do because a lot of the uh, research has been dominated by people like um, uh, Lady Rontha, mm. who's famous for uh, putting the bomb in the post box in Newport. So I really wanted to find somebody new. So I was looking around and I came across Margaret Travers Simmons. So uh, what was her sort of start in life like? Where did she come from? Margaret was born in London, despite the fact many of the newspapers said she was born in South Wales. Her father was a well-known Welsh architect and he designed a number of uh, buildings in South Wales. She was born in, um, on the 18th of August, 1879, in Paddington, and she lived in London almost all of her life, although she did come back to Wales a lot. Her brother was born in Wales, so there was a very, very close link with the family um, and um, various parts of South Wales, and her best friend uh, was a suffragette in Cardiff. And it sounds like it was quite a political upbringing is that fair to say yes her father was um quite a a socialist he uh, as well as being an architect wrote two books on housing reform he was a pioneer in looking at um highlighting the conditions of the poor and he wrote a book uh, london's rookeries and collieries slums and more light and air for london so certainly he was very interested in the um, conditions of, of the working class people and uh, she got married as well, didn't she, when she was quite young? She, she got married um, in London in um, 1902. Unfortunately, it was one of those marriages that, which very quickly sort of fell to bits. Apparently, he was somebody who, you know, sort of played away from home quite a lot, if you can put it that way. <laughs> That's um, a good way of putting it. <laughs> and they had been separated for quite some time, and they were finally divorced in 1911. But she did um, keep his name. She kept her married name. It's quite unusual to get a divorce. That must have been... 
It was highly that controversial in, 19, in 1911 because um, it, socially it would have been unacceptable. It would have been difficult for a lot of um, women, particularly if they had brought the divorce forward. Um, it, it would have been socially awkward for her. So it was it was unusual to get divorced in, in 1911 and it, it was you know socially unacceptable. But the papers didn't cover their divorce. Uh, because she was relatively, at that time, little known. Mm. Mm. So do you know how she first became involved with the suffrage movement? We don't know how she first got involved, but she was involved very early on. Um, I think probably she had quite a few friends who were suffragettes. Her, her friend in Cardiff was a well-known uh, suffragette, and she joins the... In 1903, she joined the Women's Social and Political Union, the WSPU, and she was the honorary treasurer. And, of course, this is the famous party that the Pankhursts um, headed up, mm. and um, it did... Their part was the militancy of course you have the suffragists who were the the peaceful people who talked everything and you have the suffragettes who were the more militant people i and never knew that there was a difference i didn't, never knew there was a difference between the two yeah, I, I just thought they were synonymous no no no, no. suffragists never took part in the military ca- military Milit- militant campaigns they they how have i missed that <laughs> Yeah, um, some of the banners that some of the banners that the uh, suffragettes had was sort of like no more talk talk, you know. So she does she does join the suffragettes. Whether she was a suffragist before, there's not a record, um, but certainly she's there from the early days of the suffragettes. And do you think her family or her father approved of her kind of? Involvement with the suffragettes? Probably. I mean, we don't have any written records of, of his reaction to, to what she, she was doing. But given that he was quite a socialist, and he certainly seems to be mm. um, a supporter of women's rights, so yes, in all probability, he supported her. Mm. And she worked for Keir Hardy, uh, famously didn't... founder of the Labour Party, who was a supporter of women's rights as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. So he, um, Keir Hardy was a friend of her father's um, through his work at the, the London uh, County Council. And so he, uh, he and Keir Hardy had been friends for some time. And Margaret goes to work with, for him on a voluntary basis uh, of sorting out his parliamentary papers. And she works for him for quite a while. So at this point, what's the current status of the suffrage movement? What's happened? Um, Did you say Status. Status. It's not pronounced status. It's like Bath and Bath. I always thought status was like American. Anyway, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That that just threw me. That just threw me for a second. Sorry. The current status. Would you like me to go back and say status? No, it's fine. I don't mind. I do mind. (laughs) What's going on with the suffrage movement at this point? This is uh, relatively early. This is 1908, so it's a few years before the famous suffragette um, events such as Emily Davison being killed by the King's horse in 1913 and Lady Rhonda putting the bomb in the post box in Newport, which is also 1913. Uh, So this is quite early days of uh, militant action. So the events of the 13th, uh, the suffragette movement sort of building momentum, shall we say, uh, it's all kicking off outside the House of Commons, essentially. Yes, um, it had been designed by the Women's Social Political Union that um, they would do a rush on the House of Commons. And so they had printed a handbill um, on suffragette colours inviting members of the public to take part in this demonstration or this rush on the House of Commons on October the 13th at 7.30pm. 
And because the, uh, this handbill had been printed, the police immediately issued arrest warrants for Emmeline Pankhurst, Christabel Pankhurst and Flora Drummond, who were the, you know, the famous suffragettes. Mm. Um, and they um, were wanted uh, on uh, trying to uh, incite the public. So on the actual night, they're not there because they're lying low in order not to be arrested. And in the evening, there's a, um, an event held at Caxton Hall where people, the women try to encourage members of the public to take part in this demonstration. And at the end of the meeting, um, three women leave and they make their way to the house. And they're surrounded by members of the crowd, they're surrounded by the police, there's lots of noise, everybody's shouting and yelling and votes for women and there's banners and police trying to keep the, the um, crowd under control. And then sometime later, there's a second delegation of these women that leave. And, of course, the police then have to go and look after this delegation. And then there's a third one. So it was very deliberately planned that they would split up the women leaving the hall in order to try and stretch the police Sneaky. as thinly as possible. Ah, I like the way they think. So, uh, they, so they, they make their way to the House and um, they, they want to speak to the Prime Minister and so they say, well, we, if you don't speak to the Prime Minister, you know, we're going to do this rush of the House of Commons. So they said, well, we'll go and ask Mr Asquith if he'll speak to you. So in the meantime, um, a little lady, all on her own, has gone into the House of Commons with using her pass. Of course, this is Margaret, and mm. she has used her pass that she has because she works for Keir Hardy. It's not uh, what you know, it's who you know. It's who you mm. know. And not only who, you know, she then asks to speak to a Flincher MP. Um, Thomas Howell Williams Idris. That's him. Very Welsh name. Very, all the Welsh names. <laughs> so she sends him a card. He's at dinner. Now, the House of Commons is very quiet at this time. It's 8pm in the evening. Uh, it's called the dull hour because everyone's at dinner. Um, and a lot of MPs were also up on the balcony watching the demonstration going on below. So she sends Idris a, a card saying, uh, could she see him? So he knows her because he's friendly with her father. So he pops down and she says, can I have a look in at the House of Commons? Well, at this time, it was quite common for women to ask to look through a small window into the House of Commons to watch the debates taking place. And so Idris says, yes, of course, I'll, I'll take you over there. So he's busy chatting to the guard and suddenly she rushes through the door rushes into the House of Commons where there's about 40 members talking, uh, sitting and one MP is on his feet discussing the children's bill and trying to um, persuade the government that they needed a new law to try and stop children smoking. And she shouts, stop discussing the children's bill, turn to women, votes for women. Everything freezes. Mm. They are just taken completely by surprise. And there's like this little tableau scene where everything just stops. And then suddenly the guard rushes over and he grabs her by the waist and he picks her up bodily and he carries her out of the house um, with her still shouting, votes for women. Um, and all the journalists up in the gallery are leaning over the, mm -hmm. the edge, looking down. You were probably borderline falling asleep by that point. And suddenly probably. everything's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, something's <laughs> happening. Quick, 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 write it down, write it down. <laughs> so she, she um, gets ejected onto the street outside. So, um, and the whole thing just takes 20 seconds. Wow. What are 20 seconds? Yeah. There is an interesting quote uh, from her friend Mary Keating Hill who says, 
um, who describes uh, Mrs. Simmons as a fragile, quiet, dignified little thing, and she's very surprised that she would have uh, done something so bold. Uh, but she doesn't sound very from. She doesn't sound very fragile um, no. uh, or quiet. Are deceptive. <laughs> yeah. Um, was this an out-of-character thing for her to yeah, do, do you think? Be. It seems to be. Um, certainly, you know, we know very little about her before because she has a very quiet character. And afterwards, she goes on to be a, a reasonably quiet character. She never talks about the event, never writes about the event, although she is sort of um, recognised as, you know, in, in the press and, and other people, as the first woman to officially make a yeah. speak in, speech in the House of I Commons. I mean, yeah, because she had the floor. She had the floor. She was it speaking. was a sitting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, counts. So this event, was this something that they planned or was this a spontaneous thing that Margaret had just done? Well, Margaret said that she she sent the note to Idris because she genuinely wanted to look through the window at the House of Commons, which begs the question, if she'd worked for Keir Hardy for so many years, why hadn't she ever looked before mm. through the window? Mm-hmm. So so she, she claims that she wanted to see this great house at work and that she was overcome with emotion and the power that, that resided in the House of Commons. Uh, and so that it was all very spur of the moment and she had rushed in just on the spur um, unfortunately the next day the WSPU issued a note said no it was planned all along okay they grasped yeah they, couldn't they could have just said their <laughs> statements there and agreed to say the same thing killjoys so um, we don't know exactly what it was that she said because there's quite a few different versions is that right well it's kind of worrying because you know um all the journalists leapt to their feet and and they were watching her being you know bodily carried out of the the chamber uh, shouting votes for women and there are 15 different versions of what she actually said so it, it, you know where's your confidence in the journalists reporting <laughs> wow, on the yeah. parliamentary probably you know, got kind of exaggerated because they wanted yeah. to make a better story yeah maybe. are they yeah. all pretty similar on the gist of it yeah they're all votes pretty for similar. women Etc. Etc. <laughs> <laughs> and some other things. Um, so, why do you think that her name isn't more widely known? Is it because there wasn't that many MPs sitting, or because of the protests going on outside that was gathering much tension, or that she just didn't speak about it much afterwards? I think it's a bit of both. Certainly, the demonstration has been written about yeah. quite often. Um, it was, and I think still is, one of the largest crowds of us ever assembled. Um, outside the House of Commons and figures range, uh, you know what it's like today, trying to estimate crowds, yeah. especially if you're Trump and he and, and uh, overestimates Don't speak everybody. that name. <laughs> um, so it ranges from like 20,000 to 65,000 people uh, outside the House of Commons. So quite a lot has been written about that because it is very closely linked to the Pankhurst, which of course is very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of these matchstick stories that flare up and disappear. And yes, you know, she never made much of it. She never never bragged about it, she never talked mm. about it, she never wrote about it. So um, it, it kind of got subsumed into all the other stories about suffragettes at that time, mm. because although we, we tend to think of the famous people, uh, like the Pankhursts, you know, there are so many individual women who were doing individual things. And all of them together yeah. made the movement. Yes. Yeah. So do we know what happened to Margaret later in life? 
she, having said that, um, you know, this this was all spontaneous, and you know, she she wrote letters of apologies to Idris and and Keir Hardy, um, and said, oh, it, it was all just rushed and all this sort of stuff. But she carried on working for Keir Hardy, so obviously he wasn't that he upset wasn't about it. No. And Idris um, um, had no punishment afterwards. Um, he was asked to explain what had happened, and he just showed them. Uh, Margaret's letter, which said, oh, it was all spur of the moment. Um, her father had moved to Egypt. Uh, oh, sorry, I was going to say, do you think she said it was spur of the moment so that he wouldn't get in trouble? Because if it had been planned, they might have thought he was in on it. Yes. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, yeah. If, if, if he'd known that it was planned, yes, he would have definitely been probably suspended or mm. something like that. As it is, she received no punishment because um, a lot of people outside in the demonstration were arrested. She was never arrested and never charged because, of course, the police don't have jurisdiction in the Palace of Westminster. So nobody brought a charge against her, so she got off scot-free. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so she went to Egypt. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Uh, the suffragettes um, sort of suspended their campaigns in the outbreak of the First World War and they made an agreement that they wouldn't continue in the militancy uh, whilst the war was going on. And, of course, in 1918, then you see this partial uh, votes for women. Um, during the war, Margaret seems to have spent quite a lot of her time in Egypt. Her father had moved over there um, as an architect and he was designing various bu- buildings over there. And she's back and forward. And she becomes something of an expert on Egypt and British relationships. And she she writes extensively. A lot of the conferences that you see in um, the the newspapers following the war, quite often Margaret's name appears. So she's, she's there, she's talking, you know, and she wrote a book on the relationship. So she becomes this expert on, on um, Anglo-Egyptian relationships. After that, not entirely sure. I don't know where she died or when she died. She seems to have disappeared from the record. She, um, although she used the name Travis Simmons, up until this event where she, she rushes into the House of Commons, she was known as either Margaret Simmons or Maggie Simmons. After the event, I think she's using it as some sort of alias, she takes on the name Margaret Travis Simmons, which was part of her husband's name, so you've got all these different names. So trying to find what happened to her in the end, I still haven't discovered where she died or when she died. Well, it sounds like for a quiet, dignified little woman, she had quite a life. Yeah, yeah she, she seems quite <laughs> an interesting person. Interesting figure. Yeah. yeah. Well, sorry for the slightly abrupt ending there to the recording. I'm not quite sure what happened. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, I liked hearing about Margaret Travis Simmons, who, you know, I've never heard of before. I know. Surprised me, considering, you know, this is a big first yeah. in, in history. And with everything that's been going on recently, all the stuff about suffragettes, you think her name yeah. might have been mentioned. But no, not that I've heard. No. But that might have been the way that she would have wanted it, because it seems that she didn't really... She didn't... It wasn't really about her. That was for the yeah. movement. Do you know what I mean? She seized her moment with the spotlight. She said what she wanted to say. Yeah. And then... You know, she's like, that, that was, was my it. moment, and I'm just going to go back and uh, live my life and write about Egypt. I kind of respect it, you know? Yeah. She took her moment, and uh, and then that was it. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting to see how uh, kind of what we see of her in this brief anecdote mm. uh, contrasts with what's said about her. Um, so that quote about her being a sort yeah. of little, frail woman. 
uh, than being like wrestled to the ground person. by the not I mean not wrestled that's what it's like in my mind now she's wrestled to the ground <laughs> by the security guards and like dragged out even though I'm pretty yeah. sure that isn't what happened I'm kind of imagining like the security guard uh, like hoisting her over one yeah. shoulder or something like that does it seem to quite fit yeah. but then I guess people can have hidden depths yeah absolutely um, yeah it seems that uh, she wasn't Maybe someone that you would expect to have mm. a sort of a fir- be the first woman to do this. Yeah. But she just she just kind of grabbed it and, and ran with it. Yeah. Which is cool. That is cool. So if you liked what you heard of Narina and you'd like to uh, get involved and hear a bit more of her work, then the link to the blog post about Margaret Travis Simmons that she wrote will be in the description, as will a link to her Twitter. So on to the usual thank yous. Thank you to Harry, as always, for helping us with our editing and sound and... Literally everything. Literally everything. <laughs> um, thank you also to Annie Clough-Hillman, who designed our logo, and to Lizzie Watson, who yeah. desi- who uh, recorded our intro music for us. Yeah, and links to their online profiles will be uh, in the description. Fantastic. Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, hopefully we'll do more with Narina in the future, because she was great. Yeah. And we'd love to have her on again. Uh, See you next time. Yeah, see you in the next episode. Stories of the Sisterhood was presented by Holly Morgan Davis and Alicia Joy Davis. It was produced by Harry Bly, with music by Elizabeth Grace Watson. series is proud to be part of the Think Tank family. Find out more about this and other original shows at our new website, thinktank.fm.